Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Good morning, everyone. Really good to be with you again. I have been looking very much forward to this. As I came to uh, the passport control at the airport in Copenhagen uh, yesterday, I was asked a question that I've never been asked before, and it was strange that it should come this time around. So even though I, of course, have a Danish passport, this lady asked me, so are you traveling home? And then I said, yes, I am. It's been my home for the last eight years. So it's just very interesting, and that's what it feels like. You guys make me feel at home. It's really great to be with you, and um, greetings from Meta as well. She really misses you guys. Uh, and feels a bit torn. She's very happy to be back with the family, uh, close to the grandkids, and to be able to help out more regularly. And as you can imagine, they are taking advantage of that to a large degree. So um, it does feel a bit busy (laughs) to be back in in Denmark, actually. Um, And I will share with you today as part of our series on the Gospel of Luke, and we've been in that series for quite a while, and I hope you have enjoyed it. It's, I think, been, been quite an amazing journey because we are focusing on this very essential thing. What is it really to be a follower of Jesus Christ? That's the basic calling, not only to us, but to every person on this planet. If you go out the door, find a random person and ask yourself the question, what is the calling on this person's life? That's the calling, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That was what we were created for. That is what we are born to. And this is what we are diving into. And today we will be looking at a very familiar passage in Luke chapter 10. So if you will read with me or follow me as I read from verse 1 to 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. But be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, I have chosen a slightly odd headline for the talk today, and it goes like this. Without this, there is no what. Explanation will follow. Don't worry. And the subheadline is intimacy and urgency. 
Now, to be honest, I thought I knew this text inside and out. Quite a few years back, I was asked to lead a church through a, a transformation period. It was a three-year kind of commitment to help them turn from being a very inward-looking uh, little church to become an outward-looking church engaged in the surrounding society, which was a very exciting task. And I still remember preparing for the first prayer meeting, which we did uh, uh, every other week. And this text came to my mind, quite obviously, you might say. So we, we prayed over this text, and then when I was preparing two weeks after, the same text came to my mind. And this continued for three years. Every time I prepared for the prayer meeting, this text came to my mind. And I was protesting. So after week three or four or something like that, I said, God, you're not serious. What will these people think? Will they think that I only have one text that I can kind of teach from in a prayer setting? Or will they be bored? And all those kinds of thoughts went through my mind. But somehow I felt forced to do it. I did cheat once. So instead of doing the text that kind of was prompted on my heart, I chose a psalm which I kind of, I know I can do really well with this psalm. It will be great. And then I started the prayer meeting reading this psalm, and as I was reading it, my heart sank, and I knew this is not right. I had to return straight back to this text. So I've been living with it for three years. So I thought I knew it inside out. And as I was preparing for this uh, talk today, of course, all the, the stuff that I knew came to my mind. So as you can imagine, I have a lot of talks on this text. Um, but none of it really kind of felt like that's it for today. And then came this, what I'm going to share with you. Two words that I never noticed before in this text. Isn't that amazing? The Bible really is an amazing scripture. I've been reading it for 50 years, and still it contains so many mysteries and surprises and new revelations. Some of you would think, I know that guy is very slow. I know that may be part of the reason, but still, it's really an amazing Word of God we have here. I had never really thought about how the text starts after this. And I do believe that's absolutely a key truth which we find behind these two very normal words after this. Now, what does that really entail? What is this about? And we can't be totally sure looking at this text because Luke could be talking about something that happened just before Jesus said these words. Or he could be referring to a longer period of time. So we kind of need to look into other New Testament texts to have an idea of what's probably going on here, which I have done. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Wonderful words. If you are a traditional Christian, they would be kind of underlined in your Bible. <laughs> they typically are. So Jesus says this, and then he goes on and says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. So basically Jesus says, when you have invited me to minister to you, then become like me 
and do what I do. That's basically what Jesus says in these words. Does sequence matter? Does order of things really matter? I believe it does. The Bible says that Jesus came with mercy or grace and truth. The thing is, if we don't find grace first, we are never really able to hold, keep, listen to the truth. We see this in the story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. First, she needed to hear about the living water. First, she needed to encounter a God that that loved her without reservations. And then she was able to face the truth about the reality of her own life. We cannot really learn from Jesus unless we have begun a process of allowing him to carry our burdens. We need to meet and receive grace first. My brother and his wife, they, they fostered three uh, children back in the days. And, and we had some very interesting conversations about that whole experience. Uh, and one of the things we were talking about, of course, was how they affected they were not having started their life in the way they needed to, not being surrounded by the kind of love, compassion, care that really they were designed to. And one of the things they were struggling with was the ability to learn when they came to the age of going to school. They simply had a very hard time taking in and learning what they needed to learn. And then the advices of my brother and his wife, they said this to them. They say, there's nothing wrong with their intelligence. It's just as it should be. They have exactly the same as you would expect as their peers in the classroom. It's a different kind of challenge that they have. And the challenge is that the part of the brain that is used for finding out who am I, how do I relate to people, what's my worth, it's the same part of the brain that is used to learn. That's the problem. So they were sitting there in the classroom, and their brains were completely preoccupied with this. Who am I really? Can I trust these people? What's going to happen? And there there was very little room left to learn what they needed to learn. And in a way, this resonates really with how I experienced my first encounters with this particular text. So I've been a Christian basically all of my life. So I've heard this from from I was very young, this, this text. I've been reading it since I was very young. And I didn't like it. I really, really didn't like it. When I was hearing it, I felt like everything was wrong. Uh, and, and I felt like I'm doing it all wrong. I'm not doing it enough. And it's really, really bad when it comes to me and what's going on in this, this text. So my system actually shut down. I don't know if any of you had that reaction, but when... When a preacher would start reading from this text, my system simply did like this. There was no capacity to take it in, no capacity to learn. Why? Because I already anticipated a very bad experience. I already experienced, anticipated, I am going to feel really bad today. (laughs) So rather just leave it out there instead of taking it in. 
What was happening with me? Basically, I was jumping into the what of this text before having experienced the after this that is talked about here. So the question is, what is this? What was it that came before we, what we are reading about in this text? And I believe it's a what you could call a growing intimacy on the journey with Jesus. I believe that is the after this going on here in this text. A growing intimacy on the journey with Jesus. Sandy Miller, which uh, some of you would know of, uh, he used to be the vicar of HTB in the good old days, uh, has written an amazing little uh, piece of, of uh, literature, a book called All I Want Is You. And it's a funny little book. Uh, some of the chapters are extremely small, like one sentence, and others are a bit longer than that. Uh, but he kind of sums up pearls of wisdom and things that he has picked up during his long life of ministry. And uh, the title comes from a particular experience that maybe some of you have heard the story. He was at a conference in the U.S. He was fairly, I believe, uh, early days in his ministry at that time. And he was uh, being part of this conference where, you know, people were talking in an inspired way about the kingdom of God and what needs to be done and so on. And he was excited about the whole thing. And then in the midst of it, he went for a walk at the beach and he started to talk to God and let God know, God know everything that he would do for him. So he kind of gave God the list of the exciting things that he was planning to do for God. And then he said, when he paused he heard God speak to him with a clarity that he had only experienced on very few occasions in his life. And what God was saying was this, all I want is you. And I found it hugely interesting that a guy who has been through much, who has learned so much, who has been one of the most amazing kind of leaders on the Christian stage in the UK and even beyond, this is what comes out as the most important lesson of his life. Don't you find that a little bit interesting? I think it's hugely interesting. I myself started very young as a church leader. And so... Uh, I've actually been in church leadership for 37 years. So I started around the age of three, as you can imagine. Uh, and, and I was quite overwhelmed about, about the whole thing when, when I kind of started ministry. And I remember going to this huge, big leadership world conference, which took place in Oslo uh, at that time. And I kind of had the anticipation it's contaminating, Lou. I'm getting it too. It's a virus. Anyways, so I expected, that's easier. So I expected to kind of get the answers to how do I do this really well. So I was going there and um, listening to all these amazing, most well-known leaders from all over the world. And I'm sure God said a lot to a lot of people and so on, but I, it didn't get in here. And I was a bit like, God, I really need this. I'm very young. I don't know what to do. Please could you say just something to me? I had my notebook ready and everything. There was no notes in the book. It was just empty. And then came the last session, which was a random seminar 
And I was just sitting there, hardly listening to what was going on. And then I heard this quiet whisper on the inside. And it simply said, you can trust me. So as I came home from this world conference with the most amazing, talented leaders in the world, that's what I came home with. We can trust in God. It felt almost embarrassing to share the experience back then. And some of you, you were at the church retreat uh, this year. And if you were there, you may remember a similar story. Joel Wade, who is leading our Mile End uh, service, he has he'd just been back from a retreat where he's been away for three months, having time to reflect and pray and be with God and so on. And now was the time to kind of come with the big revelation of what God had shared with him over these three months. And what he shared, almost with a bit of an apology, was God loves you. Now, isn't that interesting? I find it hugely interesting. What is it? I think these stories is about this. After this, after that kind of stuff going on in their lives, then comes what we read about in this text. What happens when we have such encounters with God, when this kind of get integrated into our very own soul? Well, it means that what Jesus talks about here is something that comes from within. And really, if it doesn't come from within, from my own experience, I know it's a very short duration, it's a heavy burden, and it's a constant source of guilt and shame. And some of you would know what that feels like to some degree at some level. Maybe even a few of us have a degree of that today. <coughs> it's not going that well with this part of life. So, after this, he appointed 72, who came from an experience of being totally immersed into the community of Jesus. They would have this written all over them. He loves us. All he wants is us. We can trust him. That is what would be radiating from them at this point. That was what they were coming with. And now Jesus says, come and do what I am doing. Do the very same thing. I have taken your burdens on me. Now come and carry my burden with you. Come actually deeper into community with me and let's share community in what is at the deepest of my heart. And what was that? It was this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It sounds like a very normal sentence. Well, maybe not that normal, but still, normal words. But there's such intensity of emotion layered in these words. We know that from other scriptures in the New Testament. This is at the very bottom of the heart of Jesus. And sometimes we get, I think, a taste of what that was. Yesterday, when I arrived here in London, I went for a walk in the area where I live. And I just started to watch the faces of people and also listen a little bit into some of the passing conversations. Uh, 
And what I saw was fields that are ready to be harvested. I saw so much sadness. I saw so much need. I saw so much hostility. And I saw so much anger. People in need of experiencing the reality of the life of Jesus Christ. I really do believe that the harvest, even today, is ripe. Someone put it like this. He said, we need to see what Jesus sees, to feel what Jesus feels, to do what Jesus does. And I think that's right. Where does seeing come from? Well, it comes from this being with Jesus. And we kind of know this. If you have a friend that you have known for a very long time, if you are in a certain situation, you know exactly what your friend, how your friend would see this situation. You even know how they would feel. And you basically also know what they would do in that situation. This is community. This is living with one another and it affects us. So then at one point we start to do a little bit like they do because we have integrated some of their feelings. That's what happens when we live closely with one another. And this is really what comes as the starting point of this text. I have come close to Jesus. I'm beginning to see as she is. I have time. That's wonderful. Are you, are you still alive? Are you with me? Is it all right? Yeah. So, um, I, I remember many times, but this is just one of the times where I'd been, a, I'd been a someplace where God was kind of showing up in a very particular way, uh, in a very intense way. And I had been there for almost a week. So, I've kind of been in an atmosphere of prayer and worship for five or six days at that time. And I did feel how it kind of started just to be, I was simply immersed in this presence of God. And I could feel something is really changing, something is happening on the inside. And I remember coming, coming out of this place, uh, this was on the last day, about to go to the airport, and there was this Texan guy who said, man, you've got God all over you. <laughs> that was kind of his way of saying it. I was kind of, yeah, I feel a bit strange. <laughs> I do feel different. And, and then, then I came to the airport. And, and there was kind of a shock. I had been in this intense presence of God for, for an extended time. And suddenly I realized I see these people very differently. I really care for them. I see their need. I see their burdens. It was kind of a, I actually start to see what Jesus sees when he sees people. And then I suddenly felt this, oh boy, God, if you could give me just one chance to reach out to one of these people. To somehow show them that you are there. That your love is real. That your life is real. It was almost kind of taking me. My heart broke at that airport. So my heart first broke in the presence of God. That was a this. <laughs> but then God led me into the what? <laughs> the content of this text, the calling to be with him and like him in this world. And I experienced the gravity of that. I started to see and feel as he does.
so when we gather for encounter evenings, as we do, when we hear Tom's uh, testimony and, and hear your encouragement, Lou, that's really what this is about. It's not to kind of have a great time just to be together, to kind of be us. That's wonderful. That's great. But it's also part of what we are reading about here. It's to grow closer to Jesus so we become like him and start to feel like him, to see like him, so we actually end up doing what he is doing. When, when ministry is at the strongest, that is actually when we see what Jesus is doing and then we start to do the same. As you can imagine, given my track record, I have had the chance of experience quite a number of things in my life. And I also journeyed with very exciting kind of ministers of God in different contexts. And this is what I have seen. When, when, when God's power really is at play, when the kingdom of God is really manifested, this is often what happens. Someone has seen what God is doing before it's actually happening. And then they act accordingly. But then you act with great boldness. This is a real thing. And it's to do with the eyes that sees. So when we start to see like Jesus, then we also start to see what God is up to, what kind of work he is doing. And then some might think, well, those are probably the big ministers and so on, and these 12 apostles of Jesus. No, not at all. If you read revival uh, history, that's what happens with normal people when kind of God is allowed to really get our hearts. That is what happens. We start to see what he sees. We start to feel what he feels. And then automatically, we start to do what he is already doing. There's really a burden and urgency in this text. And uh, I, I do believe that uh, as Christchurch London and maybe particularly as Doc Will Service, this is a direction of travel where God has started to kind of take you on this travel. I sense it in the hearts of some of you. So therefore, I really believe that it is happening. Jesus says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, that's a bit impolite, isn't it? That's not what we do in London. We are quite polite. We say sorry even when it was the other one's fault and so on. So, so what's Jesus on about here? This wouldn't work for us, would it? So I think what Jesus is really saying here is don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. And I think that's also what he's talking about when he says, eat whatever's offered to you and don't move from house to house. What's that about? Really what Jesus is saying is don't be fixated on your circumstances. That's not the important thing here. So th there's a very counter-cultural message going on in this scripture. I don't know if you noticed. Because we live in a culture which is based on a philosophy they say, that says it needs to grow. It needs to grow. It needs to grow. We have a growth economy. 
So in, in a thousand ways, we are being taught you need to be focused on your circumstances. They need to improve and improve and improve and improve and improve again. That's all around us. That's what we live in. That's what we bathe in, so to speak. And now Jesus says, actually, don't care about that. In other scriptures, he says, let me care about that. But here he says, don't care about that. That's getting sidetracked. That's not what's really urgent. There's something else which is way more urgent than that. What does urgency entail? Well, when we have urgency, we simplify. We say no to a thousand other things to do this one thing. When we have urgency, we focus. We don't try to keep up with the news and the development of everything else going on in this world. We focus on that which is our mandate. What has God placed on my heart? What is my part in all of this going on? And His big calling for the church, what is my little part of that? We say that both as a service, we say that as a church. Christ Church London is a wonderful church. It's still just a very small part of God's big vision and big plan uh, for, for London and for, for the UK and, and even beyond. We focus. We don't try to do everything. We do this one thing. And then when we have urgency, we discipline ourselves, body, mind, and soul, to be engaged in what is important. This is hugely important, friends. I just need to say this, because this is where we very often go wrong in our lives. We lose out on this. So we make things that are less important urgent, and then we forget about those things which are really important, and we forget to make them ur urgent in our lives. It's not something which is placed upon you very often. Urgency is something we choose as part of stewarding this life. It's part of leadership. So when you Lead in the family, if you have a family, you choose what is urgent in this family. When you lead yourself, which we are all called to, you choose what is urgent in your life. When you are leader in a workplace, you choose what is urgent in this workplace. That is what gives direction to what we are doing. It's hugely important. Now you need to, of course, answer for yourself. But let me ask you this question as a way of closing uh, today. What is urgent in your relationship with God? What is urgent in the way you relate to yourself? Because we all do that, as you may have noticed. You have said quite a few things to yourself just within the last half hour, even without noticing it perhaps. We do that. We relate to ourselves. So what's most important in your way of relating to yourself? And what's most urgent in your relationship with others? I would claim, or let me speak for myself then, that intimacy is urgent. And it's really strongly connected. Intimacy with God, intimacy with myself, and intimacy with others. They are very connected. 
without intimacy with God, we typically are a little bit at war with ourselves. Have you noticed? We are really good at that, to be at war with ourselves. And when we are at war with ourselves, we typically lose intimacy with others. Because we are busy presenting a different version of ourselves than the reality of ourselves. And then we lose out on intimacy with others because we're not really there. It's a version of me being present in the room. It's not really me being there. And we've all been there. So I know some of us could sit here and feel like, oh, that's me. That hurts. That's painful. And it's probably just me. No, 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 no. That's all of us to some degree at some point in our lives. We may not all be there right now, but we've definitely been there. It's a human thing. We do this. I believe this corresponds well with what I hear from those of you. Of course, I talk quite a bit with Helen and Lou and others as well. That's what I hear in your hearts. What's important for us at this point in time for the Stockwell service, I believe that's really what Jesus is talking about today. It's those things. It's to grow in intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then it is to share his life with those that he has placed us amongst. That is important. That is urgent. I believe that is the direction of travel. And then I will end by sharing before we are going to pray. Do you want to get ready, uh, worshippers? Yeah. Something that I felt God spoke to me about yesterday morning. And I was actually dreading he was giving me a totally new message uh, for today, which he has done previously. Uh, but... I felt more like, no, this was the message, but I also need just to share this. Um, so the day before yesterday, um, Med and I, we had an evening walk uh, on the beach near the place where we live. And it was such a, a wonderful evening. The sea was so calm and it was unusually warm for this time of year in Denmark. So we actually took a swim. No, I took a swim. She didn't dare. Uh, so I took a swim. It was wonderful. Uh, I was like, this is amazing. I can't remember that I've ever done this before in Denmark. And then today, oh, sorry, yesterday morning, we went for another walk before I needed to go to the airport. And came back to the very same beach. Now it was completely different. There was a bit of a storm going on. We could hardly walk. And suddenly the water was way further up the beach than the day before, and the waves, they were really big. It was a total change of scenery. And, and I just turned to Meta and said, now the autumn is coming. So the storm signals a new season is, is coming. And in a minute I said that, my thoughts went to this congregation. So I was like, oh God, you're speaking <laughs> This is a new season coming. And then immediately my mind went to two occasions in the Old Testament where God changed the season. One was when the temple was built in the Old Testament, which was a gradual renewal going on. And then it's kind of a climax when they dedicate the temple and uh, they have kind of done all they could. But all they could wasn't enough. God needed to do the last bit which was to send the fire from heaven uh, for the fire to burn on the altar. As a picture, of course, of the Holy Spirit coming. 
So it's like a gradual renewal process and then bang, God kind of showed up and a whole new chapter started for, for the people. So that was the one story. The other story was the story of Elisha, where the situation was very different. It was really dark. And if you, if you had asked, what are the chances for revival in this nation? People would say, absolutely zero. It's on the minus. There is no chance at all. All the evil spirits and idols, they have totally taken over. That There's no one among the authorities. There's, there's no chance. It's all bad. All bad. But then we have this amazing story about um, Elisha challenging all the evil powers and building the altar and, and God saying to him, you need to build the altar, but, I, but then you need to have people pour water on this altar to make sure that this is impossible. And then most of you know the story. The other prophets, the Baal prophets did the same. They couldn't get fire on their altar. And Elisha just prayed one prayer and then bang, God sent his fire, and it was like turning a hand, and a new time came. So, I believe that both situations, so, so let me put it like this. I think there is a new season that God is speaking to you about, and I think he's done that previously, but I, I think it's being reinforced. It's like something that is building. It's a new season. And, and, and the breakthrough is not going to happen be happening without the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the fire of the Holy Spirit is consuming. And when the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit is present, presence, present, there are three things that we need to do. Number one, we need to acknowledge it. Number two, we need to repent of our sins. And our sins is where we have become sidetracked. So don't think about drinking or lying or anything like that. That's not really what that is about. Well, repent that too. But it's really about where you have become sidetracked. Is that sin? Yes, it is. Because sin is what we are not called to do. So when you feel, when you sense, when you acknowledge the fire of God, repent where you have become sidetracked in your life because that leads you to the third stage. That's where you surrender and say, all right, God, have it all. And then you are in the thick of it. And then God's kingdom, God's kingdom comes. Well, that was a word from God. <laughs> so I want to pray that over us. Then we will worship and then we'll see what happens. Would you stand with me? And if you just feel like you have a need to kind of signal, it, not to me, but, but to yourself and to God, God, I'm hearing you, and, and I am bowing to what you're saying today. Maybe just stretch out your hands, uh, also as a sign that you're ready to receive whatever the Holy Spirit wants to anoint us with, to give us in this very moment. So, Father, we just stand here in your wonderful presence, and we thank you that we are known by you. We thank you that we are called by you. And you draw us closer to you. We thank you for your words over our lives that all I want is you. We thank you for melting our hearts with the presence of your amazing love. And Father, we stand here in your presence aware of you speaking to us about a new season. 
and you're calling us into this new season. We stand here, Lord, aware of what that entails, that your Holy Spirit needs to fall on us. And Lord, we stand here in your presence. And Lord, we say, Holy Spirit, come. May your fire fall upon us, whatever that means, however that is going to play out in our lives. Whatever that means that we are going to need to repent of, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you be poured out over us? We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's praise Him.